Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was talking about the struggles that people have concerning judgment and condemnation. I was talking about the fact that even though a person may not be living according to the law of God, they can still be condemned with the laws that they have personally adopted within their lives. Everyone does what they believe is right. You probably have noticed that, that people do whatever they think is right, regardless of whether it is or it is not. But in order to have something that they believe is right, they also have to have something that they believe is wrong. In order to live in a way that they believe is appropriate, they have to also define what would be inappropriate. And because of that, people will create their own system of law. People create their own system of law and they live by their own laws, regardless of whether they are inspired divinely or they are inspired by their own personal objectives in life. And the Apostle Paul was using this in order to show in Romans chapter 2 that a Jew is going to be judged according to the law, and the Gentiles can also be judged according to the law. They can be judged according to the law that they have derived personally, and that in addition to that, many of the laws that they have derived do correspond or coincide or are the same as the laws that God gave through Moses. I mean, it's very simple for people to recognize that it's wrong to steal things from people, it's wrong to commit murder, things like that. People understand that. They can figure that out on their own. They don't need to have the law of Moses presented to them, the first Ten Commandments even, in order to show them that these things are wrong, that these things are evil. People have figured that out throughout the course of history. But regardless of that, regardless of whether they have the law of God or they have a law of their own making, regardless of any of that, they can still be judged either way. And the judgment will always be guilty. They will always be guilty and they will always then be the recipients of the wrath and indignation of God if that's how they're going to be judged. If they are going to be judged according to their works, according to their deeds, according to how they live, then it will always result in wrath. And I was explaining that when I was talking about Romans chapter 2, verse 8 in a previous program. I was explaining that. But in this program, what I would like to spend some time focusing on is Romans chapter 2, verse 16, because the Apostle Paul mentions something here that I think is very easy to read past and not really appreciate what he is actually communicating. In Romans chapter 2, verse 16, he says, On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. He uses the phrase, my gospel, in verse 16. And I think this is very important to point out. It's very important to see this and not just read past it and think, Oh gosh, it's just his gospel. Well, it was his gospel, but when he said, my gospel... That means that there were other Gospels that were being communicated during this time in history that were not the same as his Gospel. 
Now, I want you to consider this for a moment from a modern context, from a modern point of view. If you were to go around in your local community and go to all of the churches that you have available there in your community, and you were to ask maybe five people or ten people within each one of those churches this simple question, what is the gospel? How would you describe the gospel? If you were to do this survey and you were to write down the answers that people gave, you would find some differences. You would find a lot of different descriptions of what the gospel is. Just asking that one question, how would you define the gospel, and let people answer it however they want to answer it. Include whatever they want to include in their description of the gospel. Give people the freedom to do that, and you will find that there are many differences of opinions concerning the gospel. Now, in many cases, you'll find that people give a partial description of the gospel. One person gives a partial description, another person gives a different answer, but their partial description would overlap, or it would coincide, or it would be the same As far as the other person is concerned, it would still be a component of what they would describe as the gospel. That's true, that people give partial answers, and when you consider those partial answers and you put them together, then you can have a bigger picture point of view. For example, people will say, Jesus died for my sins and so I can go to heaven. That's their description of the gospel. Another description of the gospel is that we were in such a condition that we would have no hope of ever entering into the kingdom of heaven outside of his forgiveness. Well, that's the description up to the point of forgiveness. They leave it short there, and then the other person says that it's his forgiveness that allows us to go to heaven, that you can put those together and you can see that people give different answers, and yet they are parts of the entire gospel picture that many people have. However, having said that, there are a lot of other answers that people give that have no relationship to each other at all. There are different beliefs concerning the gospel, and I want you to understand that that's the fact. I want you to take some time to go and explore the world that you are a part of and engage in conversations with people and ask them these questions and discover this on your own. I've done this all over the world. I have done this. I've asked people, tell me what you believe about the gospel. How would you describe the gospel if you were telling somebody about the Lord Jesus? I have done this, and I can tell you it's a significant issue. It's a significant issue today, and it was a big issue back then. When Paul says, my gospel, he's making it very clear that the way he described the gospel was very different from the way that others described the gospel. Let me give you an example. Consider Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, you have a council being assembled in Jerusalem. The council is there assembled for the purpose of discussing the gospel that Paul was presenting throughout the Gentile world. They were assembled for this purpose to consider and address and debate the issues and concerns related to the gospel that Paul was presenting. Now, what was the resolution to this council? What was the answer that people concluded with concerning the purpose for which they were all assembled? What was the answer? What was the conclusion? Well, it was very simple. If you are a Jew, then you are to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and You are to be circumcised, continue circumcision, and you are to live in obedience to the law of Moses. 
If you are not a Jew, you are a Gentile, then you do not have to be circumcised or live according to the law of Moses. But there were a few laws that James wrote down that he encouraged the church to observe out in the Gentile world. That was the conclusion. Now, Paul left in peace with these individuals, with the apostles in Jerusalem. He left in peace, but it didn't mean that he agreed with their conclusions. And we can read his description of how he felt about that council in Galatians chapter 2 and discover that he had a little bit of a different opinion concerning them than they probably thought that he had of them. That is, until he wrote the letter to the Galatians, and perhaps they may have heard about it. But my point is, is to say that there were different Gospels. Now, what was the Gospel in Jerusalem about? It was a Gospel, a good news, that Jesus is the King, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus was the fulfillment of all the prophecies that were given by the Law and the Prophets, that Jesus is the one who we are to believe in and we are to wait with great expectation for His return. But between now and then, we are to repent from our sins and live in obedience to the commandments that were given through Moses. And so the good news is mainly that we know who the Messiah is. That was mainly the good news that was described by the apostles and the church in Jerusalem. But that was about it. Now, some of the apostles, I know the apostle John got in touch with this, some of the apostles got in touch with the fact that we are forgiven and that the sin issue was a very important issue to be resolved. We can read in the letters that the apostle John wrote, especially his first letter, that the sin issue between us and our God came to an end. But if you were to read the letter that James wrote, he mentions nothing about forgiveness except for the fact that there is a distinct advantage to forgive one another, but there is no real need for us to obtain forgiveness from God because we have the law that will teach us how to be obedient. And so there were some differences there in the church in Jerusalem, but the point is is that Paul had a distinct gospel, and it was not the same as the gospel that they were perpetuating, that they were promoting. His gospel had nothing to do with living a life of obedience to the commandments of Moses. He embraced Jesus as the king, as the Messiah. He embraced Jesus as the one who fulfilled the law and the prophets. But where he deviated was with regards to how do we now live in light of what Jesus has done for us. That was the difference between the two Gospels. Now, this is important to see because I want you to understand that there is a local issue here, a local issue concerning the Apostle Paul, the church in Jerusalem, and the church in Rome, that there was a local issue, and it had to do with the competition between the groups, between the individuals, wanting to know or wanting to express how an individual is now to live in light of what Jesus has done. Now, the church in Jerusalem was expressing that in light of what Jesus has done, you should be further motivated, you should be further encouraged to live a life of repentance and obedience. The Apostle Paul, on the other hand, was saying that in light of what Jesus has done, you should now be at rest. You should now live a life of thankfulness in what he has done. But this is not expressed out of an individual's desire or pursuit to be repentant and obedient. Instead, it is to live a life day by day, moment by moment, being thankful for what he has done. 
and recognizing that he now loves us, that he now accepts us perfectly, and through our recognition of that, and through our acceptance of that, and through believing that, when we really believe that, then we are not going to be deceived by the temptations of sin. Deceived. You cannot be deceived when you believe one thing with deep conviction. If you believe that your God loves you, you cannot be deceived into believing that he does not love you and that somebody else will adequately. When you believe that your God loves you, especially in the proper context, then you believe and you recognize that there is no other way that you can be loved, that there is no other way that you can live a life of peace and rest. That is the distinction between Paul's gospel and the other gospels that were expressed back then. And we still deal with the same issues today. Believe it or not, the same issues are dealt with today. The gospel that I present is a gospel that is very different from the gospel that is presented today. And I'm very direct about that. I don't hide that. I'm not being deceptive in any way whatsoever. When I tell you that I believe the gospel describes a forgiveness to the extent where our God no longer holds our sins against us anymore, then I'm also willing to say that there are other people who don't believe that. I don't have a problem telling you about both points of view, that there are other people who believe that God still holds some of your sins against you. He still holds your sins against you to the extent where he will still punish you. He will still find some way of intervening in your life and causing bad things to happen at the very least in order to motivate you to stop sinning. Just as an example, there are people who believe that. I don't believe that. I see no evidence for that at all. I personally believe that he relates to us in a very different way. Now, during the time of the Apostle Paul, his gospel was well described as a gospel of sin, death, forgiveness, and the restoration of life. That the two problems were sin and death, and the solution to each one of those problems was first forgiveness for the sin and the restoration of the Holy Spirit, which is the life of God that resurrects us from the dead to resolve the issue of death that had entered into the world because of Adam and Eve's sin. And I'm not referring to the physical death, I'm referring to the spiritual death of the absence of the Holy Spirit that was breathed within humanity. That is the gospel that was described by the Apostle Paul. Today, you know, the gospel is very different. People generally don't refer to the restoration of life, the restoration of the Holy Spirit. There are some denominations who do suggest that there is a restoration of the Holy Spirit and that it is an important part of the gospel. In fact, many of them will say that you cannot be saved unless you've received the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, I don't agree with these groups, and the reason why I don't agree with these groups is because they follow up that description by saying that there has to be certain manifestations that result in order to confirm or verify that the presence of the Holy Spirit is within an individual, and I just don't share in that belief in any way whatsoever. The most common belief concerning this has to do with the doctrine of tongues, and I have done a series of radio programs on the subject of tongues, and so I would like to refer you to those when it comes to that issue. But back then, during the time of the Apostle Paul, people did know and they did understand that the restoration of the Holy Spirit was an integral part 
of the gospel, for the most part. I mean, there were some places that people did not quite embrace that or understand that, and that's mainly because the good news of the Lord Jesus went out into the world quite fast, quite rapidly, and the full description of the gospel did not go out with that message of his existence, that he is the Messiah. It did not go out fast enough. A good example is found in Acts chapter 18 and in Acts chapter 19, when the Apostle Paul asked the people there if they had received the Holy Spirit, and they said that they had not even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. He asked them into what baptism were they baptized, and they said that they were baptized into the baptism of John, which means that they had heard the initial message, but they did not hear the complete message. So there are some examples concerning that. However, when you consider things like Acts chapter 10, when Peter discovered that the Gentile could be saved and it was confirmed by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. That was, of course, confirmed to him through the manifestation of the gift of languages, such that they were able to understand what each other were saying, that that enabled them to have clear communication between each other. That's very different than what we see today. But back then it was clear, understandable communication. And so there are some examples to show that more people understood the restoration of the Holy Spirit back then than I think that people really understand today. However, in the context of Romans chapter 2, what the Apostle Paul is saying is that the other aspect of the gospel that would make his gospel distinct is the implications of forgiveness. It is the implications of forgiveness that really distinguishes his gospel from other people because the implication of forgiveness is that you are set free from the law. If you have been forgiven, then there is no law that can be held against you. There is no way to exercise a penalty against an individual when their sins are not held against them anymore. Without a penalty, without punishment, there is by default no law. And so that was one thing that made Paul's gospel distinct to the extent where he could say, my gospel Now, when you consider that when studying the beginning of Romans chapter 2, you can gain a greater appreciation for not only the struggles that they were having during this local time, but you can gain a greater appreciation for why he is giving the explanation that he is giving. The reason why he is giving this explanation is that the people were still struggling with the issues of the law. They were still wanting to live in obedience to the law. So just imagine this. You've got an individual who hears about Jesus, hears that Jesus is the Messiah. They acknowledge and believe the testimony about Jesus. They may very well be the recipient of the Holy Spirit and be resurrected. But when they acknowledge Jesus as their Messiah and they acknowledge him as their king, then what are they going to do now? I mean, how are they really going to live now? Well, the church in Jerusalem would tell them, well, you just start living in obedience to the commandments of God. That's what you do. Now that you know who the Messiah is, you recognize the true and living God, now live a life repenting from your sins and obeying his commandments. When a person starts doing that, then they are going to find themselves passing judgment against other people and condemning other people for the sins that they are committing. Why would they do that? Because they believe that they have found a way to repent and obey. So they themselves are not necessarily to be the recipients of judgment or God's condemnation. Now there is an opportunity for them to compare themselves with other people who don't really believe in Jesus, and they can now condemn them. 
That is the greater context of Romans chapter 2 and why the Apostle Paul says that they should be very careful about passing judgment and condemning other people because they are still guilty of the same sins. If not the same specific sins, they are guilty of sins of the same caliber. That's why he mentions this, because he's trying to explain to them that they need to put this aside, that there is another path, there is another way of life, there is another door that has been opened to them, and they have gone through this door. They have gone through the wrong door. They went through this door of living a life of obedience to the commandments, living a life under the law, and because of that, a natural manifestation of that is to live condemning other individuals, and yet they are guilty of the same. And so what Paul is showing them is that they have gone nowhere. They have gone nowhere. When he makes the comparison between the Jews who have the law and the Gentiles who do not have the law, He's not saying that in order to say that the Gentiles have a way of pursuing righteousness. He's saying that to show them that even though they may have been Gentiles who are trying to be Jews, or they are Jews who have rededicated their lives to living in obedience, regardless of who they are, they have still reached the same level of a Gentile who does not acknowledge God, but have a sense for his commandments, and they live according to his commandments anyway. In other words, they are not any more impressive than an unbeliever, than someone who is an unbeliever who tries to live in a way that we would consider to be somewhat holy, righteous, religious, that they are no different, that they have gone nowhere, that they have gone nowhere in their faith and that they need to recognize something entirely different. They need to know about his kindness, his patience. They need to understand how the living God will lead an individual to repentance through his grace and mercy, not through his commandments that were described in the law. So again, the important point that I want to make here is that his gospel gives them an opportunity to be set free from this burden, to be set free from the burden of going nowhere, that they have gone nowhere, that they are no better off, that they are no different than a Gentile who does not know the Lord. That's his primary message. To say his gospel is to distinguish the gospel that other people were presenting that led a person nowhere, that his gospel will lead a person somewhere, will lead an individual to repentance, whereas the other gospel did not lead people to repentance, but instead led them to more condemnation, more wrath, more judgment from God, because that's how they want to be evaluated. I explained that in a previous program. In this program, what I would like to focus on is the importance of seeing that Paul has something else, that if you will recognize that you have been totally forgiven and set free from the law, then you can walk in the newness of life. Continuing in Romans chapter 2, verse 17, he says, But if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? 
You who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? You see how he makes this transition? He says, if you're somebody who has buried themselves under this, if you are someone who has bound themselves to this, and you see yourself, therefore, as a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, you may think that you are impressive, but you still sin. You still struggle with the same sins you struggled with before. You still deal with the same issues. There has been no change of heart. In verse 22, you who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? He's dealing with the issues of an individual's heart. You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you, who through having the letter of the law and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart. I'll have to come back to the end of Romans chapter 2 in the next program. In this program, what I want you to see is that he's saying that regardless of whether you have the law or you don't have the law, you are still the same. You are no different. There has been no change, no change in the depths of an individual's heart. And if you can acknowledge that that's the case, then you can consider his gospel in comparison with the gospel that they were believing with the gospel that was presented by others, that he had another gospel that would take them beyond this, that would take them past this, that would provide them with an opportunity to live in a completely different way of life. And this is the same issue that we still deal with today, that people are still finding themselves in a situation where they are no different than an unbeliever, that they may esteem themselves to be a Christian, they may esteem themselves to be a churchgoer, or religious, but deep down inside, they really are no different than someone who is lost, who rejects Jesus, but still lives in a form of righteousness that is defined by what they believe is good or evil. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937 or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you, man.